Good afternoon, and welcome to the Independent News Hour. I'm John Tarleton, Editor-in-Chief of the Independent, New York City's lefty newspaper and website. You can find our current print edition in our red and white news boxes around the city. We're also in public libraries, independent bookstores, cafes, laundromats, social movement centers, and other venues. You can also find us online at independent.org. That's what I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D-E-N-T dot O-R-G. And I'm joined by my co-host, Amiga Garian. Hi, John. It's great to be here with you and all of our listeners on 99.5 FM and streaming on WBAI.org. We have another amazing show today. In the first half of today's show, we're going to take a deeper look at the historic actor strike that began last Friday, the 160,000-member SAG-AFTRA union uh, went out on strike in Hollywood, in New York, and other venues around the country. The first time the union has gone on strike since 1980. It joined the uh, uh, the Writers Guild, which went out on strike earlier this spring. The two unions are now on strike together for the first time since 1960 in a moment of labor unrest, uh, not only in the film and television industry, but in many other uh, industries uh, right now. And uh, later in the show, uh, we're going to, uh, talk about uh, the situation out at Rikers Island. Uh, Amba, you've done a lot of incredible coverage of that. There was some big news uh, yesterday um, from um, uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office uh, in uh, the Southern District of New York. Um, right. You also had a, a, a outstanding story recently um, uh, in The Independent uh, about um, what's happening with the educational programs at Rikers. So I look forward to talking about all that. But uh, we have a great first segment in store. Yes, we do. The Hollywood Actors Strike entered its fifth day on Tuesday with no end in sight. The 160,000 member SAG After Union launched picket lines on Friday, and this is their first strike since 1980. They joined the 11,000 member Writers Guild of America, which went on strike in May. And this marks the first time the writers and actors have been on strike at the same time since 1960. While Hollywood's top stars earn millions of dollars, SAG After says 87% of its members earn less than 26 thousand per year, the threshold for qualifying for health insurance with the union. The strike comes at a time when Hollywood's traditional business model has been turned upside down by streaming services such as Netflix, Amazon, and Apple, which have reaped enormous profits. The actors are striking for better pay and working conditions, as well as strict controls on how artificial intelligence is used so that it doesn't end up replacing many of their jobs. The strike has also hit New York City, which has a large film and television industry. Joining us today to give us both a rank-and-file perspective on the strike are two members of SAG-AFTRA who are on strike. We have Nicole Isanek, who is the president of the SAG-AFTRA Philadelphia local and who has been with the union since 2018 and works both in Philadelphia and New York City doing stand-in and other acting. And we also have Jonathan Walker, who has been a television and Broadway um, actor in New York City for nearly 40 years. So Jonathan and Nicole, welcome to the show. We're very excited to have you here. Very excited to be here. Thank you for having us talk about the the segment. Thanks for having us. Great. Thanks. Um, And uh, so first of all, can you each describe what you are seeing and hearing on the picket lines you have joined and how your fellow union members feel about the strike and the prospect that it could go on for months? Um, Jonathan, for this one, we'll start to you with you. Sure. Um, The, uh, 
the feeling on the picket line is really powerful, is really strong and really dug in. And you could feel that even when we were out on the line with the writers, um, it was sometimes 50-50, SAG uh, uh, members and uh, writers on the picket lines. And at this point, we're seeing in the SAG picket lines, Screen Actors Guild picket lines, we're seeing the same kind of solidarity and the same kind of strength and the same kind of grit. And we're getting support from the AFL-CIO, from the Teamsters, from hospitality unions uh, across the board. And this is going to be a long, hard fight, but everybody seems to be in it really strong. It's great energy. And if anybody wants to come out, please come out. I'll drop some things in the chat uh, where people can see where pickets are happening. Okay, great. And uh, Nicole, your response, what have things been like down in Philly? So um, we are empowered. We are emboldened. We're planning a rally for this Thursday with some of our high-profile members, some of our rank-and-file members, some of our WGA and IATSE brothers and sisters. Um, The whole region is um, also a little angry, you know, with my New York brothers and sisters. We're striking to make living wages in an industry that takes advantage of us. It's being represented like this is a fancy pants people's problem with people that don't understand and actors who don't understand. And when I'm out on the picket lines and when I'm talking to my people, that's completely the opposite. It feels like a deliberate misrepresentation of what's actually going on. Um, The people that I encounter are working class people. It's the kind of actor I am. It's the kind of actor everybody I know is. They're the people that are on the picket lines. Um, and it's a labor problem, you know, and it's a common labor problem that we're having all over the United States about people that know it just fine, what it's like to be taken advantage of by the greed that's happening. Right. And, and uh, so on Thursday, uh, Fran Drescher, the president of SAG-AFTRA, uh, spoke uh, at a press conference, and she framed the strike as an existential struggle for the future of an industry that she says has been overtaken by the greed of Wall Street and big tech. Let's listen to that. What happens here is important because what's happening to us is happening across all fields of labor by means of when employers make Wall Street and greed their priority, and they forget about the essential contributors that make the machine run. We are the victims here. We are being victimized by a very greedy entity. I am shocked by the way the people that we have been in business with are treating us. I cannot believe it, quite frankly, how far apart we are on so many things, how they plead poverty, that they're losing money left and right when giving hundreds of millions of dollars to their CEOs. The entire business model has been changed by streaming, digital, AI, This is a moment of history that is a moment of truth. If we don't stand tall right now, we are all going to be in trouble. We are all going to be in jeopardy of being replaced by machines. You cannot change the business model 
as much as it has changed and not expect the contract to change too. We're not going to keep doing incremental changes on a contract that no longer honors what is happening right now with this business model that was foisted upon us. What are we doing? Moving around furniture on the Titanic? It's crazy. So the jig is up, AMPTP. We stand tall. You have to wake up and smell the coffee. We are labor and we stand tall and we demand respect and to be honored for our contribution. You share the wealth because you cannot exist without us. Thank you. That was SAG after President Fran Drescher speaking on Thursday, saying the workers in Hollywood and in the film and television industry are the ones who create all the wealth. Uh, Nicole and Jonathan, your reactions uh, to her comments and her call to action. Well, I, mean, well, I think she's go go right ahead, John. No, 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 go, Nikki, you go. So I think she's right on. You know, we're fighting for a contract that represents the world that we live in. This contract doesn't represent that world, and we haven't had that for quite some time. It would be crazy to rearrange furniture on the Titanic. This is crazy. We know what it's like to be taken advantage of by greed. We're being cut out of billions in profits. We help generate them. We're fighting for a piece of a pie and just to be equitably included in the prosperity that we create. It's not like we're asking for something that we're not making. We're creating this. There's there's nothing complicated about that. We understand just fine. It's greedy. Yeah, I, I really feel listening to Fran again that uh, that's all you need to listen to. I mean, you're going to be listening to us for a very long time. Uh, but to hear what she has to say with the kind of rage and power and empowerment that she's using and just the really succinct point-by-point uh, marks that she's making, I just think it's it, it was a fantastic way to kick this off and to really – put out notice there, you know, talking about labor, someone said to me on the picket line today, you know, the really way to frame it is if you look at a movie like Spider-Man or you look at a movie like Dial of Destiny, if you took a screenshot of a big group picture and you popped Harrison Ford out or you, you know, popped whoever the stars are out and you look at all the people in that picture, that's our union. Those are the people, background, future stars, day players, you name it, those are the people living and working and trying to make a living and trying to feed themselves and trying to pay their rent and trying to have health care and raise their families. As Nikki said, this is about labor. So this is about all of us. Right. And so let's talk about some of the key union demands Dresher raised starting with pay and residuals, which is a system that was created in an earlier era that allowed actors to share in some of the wealth they created for many years after the initial production of a television show or movie, but now is not working as intended with the, you know, major rise in streaming. Uh, Nicole, why don't you start with that one? Um, So the pay raises are ludicrous. So, for example, did you know that most of our people here would make less in real dollars with the proposed raise by the end of 2026 than we made in 2020? So, like, I would be worse off with my raise three years from now than I was three years ago. That's unsustainable. It's ridiculous. And with the advancements of AI, they're asking our performers 
who are the lowest paid, least able to negotiate members to trade their image and likeness for one day's pay. So for example, you work once, you're paid once, and your grandma's grandma's grandma could see your AI working on movies from the one day of money you made in 2023. It's ridiculous. Like they're, it's beyond insulting. Amongst the other things that came out in the full proposal is that um, they were asking for more money for people who work in, in corsetry, which is something that I do quite often. It's very uncomfortable. You weren't asking for a lot of money, just a little something to make the day more comfortable. And performers under 14 years old who do background um, would not get the same benefits as everybody else because they're deemed to be not serious or going to stay in the industry. There's just an inequity across the board, and it seems to be worse um, with the less bargaining power that you make. And it's disgusting. And it's intentional. Right. And can you talk about uh, uh, audition tapes, how, how uh, the audition process changed during the COVID pandemic in terms of uh, actors not even uh, necessarily auditioning in person and how they're expected to supply these, uh, I guess, videotapes of themselves and, and, and why you all find that objectionable? <laughs> um, I mean, I'll speak to a portion of it, and I want to leave a little room for Nikki as well because we're both experiencing this. As far as that's concerned, um, we're – basically doing all the work. We are uh, printing out scripts. We have to buy the infrastructure, which are ring lights, which I have one right here, and cameras. Uh, we have to set up. We have to film it. We have to have someone read with us when we audition. Then we have to edit it, and then we have to send it, and it goes to varying places, our representatives, and then it goes to the casting people, and hopefully you'll make it past the casting people to the producers, directors, and whatnot. And as someone just filled me in the other day, uh, they're looking at this stuff. They're also calling in way more people than they used to because they can, because there are people need work, and they'll just take in 60, 80 people instead of 20 to 30. And people are looking at these things on their phones while they're scouting locations, while they're in their car, while they are uh, at lunch. Right. And literally, it's like grinder. <laughs> They're swiping, swiping, swiping. Nikki? Yeah, and to your point, that's exactly what's happening. I've never been on Grinder, so I don't know about that. But <laughs> This was an example that was given to me by someone the other yeah. day. It's like, I hear might as well be on Grinder. I mean, I'll get more <laughs> action. I'll, get more, I'll book um, more on Grinder, this guy said. For sure. And then, like, where are the limitations here, right? Like, how many pages are you going to have me do? What is the turnaround time? When are you going to approach me with this? When do you expect it back? And it becomes like a constant stream of more and more and more. So now I'm pointing, I'm shooting, I'm rehearsing, I'm self-taping. I'm um, figuring out the lighting. Um, it's going to be this many scenes or that many scenes. It has to be done right away. And then even the accountability to not know, you know, how many people are being requested. And is somebody even looking at it? Um, it's a, a torturous journey, you know, we're used to be able to right. go in the room. So yeah, now it's um, like anybody I mean, can see. As, as a, just as an example, what Nikki's saying is like, just, you know, before the strike, I got 18 pages and I had to turn it around uh, for first thing in the morning. So uh, I had dinner and then turned my dining area into a studio at nine, 10 o'clock at night. And then I had to edit it and put it all together and ship it out. And 
but I have to know the material. I'm an actor. I've got to be able to relate to the material. I've got to be able to have something going on. So, you know, as Nikki said, they're just pushing, 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 pushing with no guarantee that they'll look at the material, all of it or any of it. Right. Um, Yeah. You know, now that you mentioned it, I think I'm thinking of some friends that I'll be with them and they're looking, they're trying to memorize they're trying to memorize lines. So anyway, um, Jonathan, you had mentioned earlier too some concerns with, uh, the, the healthcare. So we know that a lot of people aren't reaching the healthcare threshold, but do you, are there any issues with, uh, healthcare in general or any other demands that you think, uh, listeners should know of? I mean, health and retirement funds, they have, this is just, it's insane. It has to be made sustainable. Uh, what we were asking for is contribution caps, uh, from employers haven't been raised, put up in 40 years. Now, you know, a union, it's a fund. You know, it's a pool of money. It isn't a revenue stream. It's a pool of money and it is slowly being leached away because it's not being added to by, uh, employers. And their reply was, Okay, so we've got some little increases, but nowhere near the level of inflation that everyone is go through, and it won't adequately fund the health plan. Um, even weird little provisions like, uh, Nikki, and you may be able to speak to this a little bit more than I do, background child performers under the age of 14 in the New York City zone, they don't deserve pension contributions. And that's why we haven't paid those since 1992. I mean, they're literally, it is just greed driving it, not wanting to infuse anything into labor. Right. Labor comes last. Right. Well, the union is pressing these demands that you all have been describing, and the studio bosses have a very different take on the situation. So we're going to listen to Disney CEO Bob Iger, who just made $27 million last year. Uh, can I, I want to amend that because with bonuses and Go all ahead. of the goodies, he made $45 million. Oh, there you go. Sorry, Nicole. I said, what a friendly amendment. It's like we're doing union work here. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. So, so Jonathan says 45 million last year, um, millions last year. Right. Hey, and so WBAI, where's our $18 million uh, <laughs> bonus? I sent you five bucks last month, you know. <laughs> right. Right. We're on our way. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody else should do the same. So, Back to business. We're going to listen to Bob Iger, Disney CEO, speaking with CNBC's David Faber last week, shortly before the actor strike began. Here we go. Um, speaking of content, we're in the midst of a writer's strike, and very likely it would seem to have a actor's strike. How is that going to impact things, and what are your expectations there? Well, I think it's very disturbing to me. I, you know, we've talked about uh, disruptive forces on this business and all the challenges that we're facing in the recovery from COVID, which is ongoing. It's not completely back. This is the worst time in the world to add to that disruption. Uh, I understand uh, any any labor organization's desire to um, work on the behalf behalf of its members to get you know the most compensation to be compensated fairly based on the value that they deliver. We managed as an industry 
to negotiate a very good deal with the Directors Guild that reflects the value that the directors contribute to this great business. We wanted to do the same thing with the writers, and we'd like to do the same thing with the actors. There's a level of expectation that they have that is just not realistic, and they are adding to a set of challenges that this business is already facing that is, quite frankly, very disruptive. So they're not being realistic? Uh, no, they're not. Why not? I can't, I can't, I can't answer that question. Yeah. Right. I can't answer so that question. can't answer that question. He, he, he probably couldn't fathom that Faber, the interviewer, would be pressing him to say, to, to go further about why those were ridiculous accusations. He's just like, yeah, I don't know why. Why they would be so ridiculous. So anyway. He ain't seen disruptive yet in his yes. life. Yeah, he ain't seen disruptive. <laughs> that was uh, Disney CEO Bob Iger in contract negotiations did collapse last week. And then Deadline released a story where a studio executive said not for attribution. So basically, you know, he didn't we couldn't know his name that the end game is to allow things to drag on until union members start losing their apartments and losing their houses. <clears throat> End quote. And another source called that a quote-unquote cruel but necessary evil, another executive. So, Nicole, what is your response to this, all of this? So there are many things about this um, that are infuriating, um, but the idea that we're not being realistic, like the average WGA writer with the whole Star of the Mount thing makes $69,510 a year. Bob Iger makes $74,175 a day, Right. We don't want your yacht, Bob, just the ability to afford the gas money for the Ford Focus so that we can drive to the pier and watch the boats. This is ridiculous. And as far as the star of them out and how that's going to apply to the SAG-AFTRA strike, first of all, it's a ridiculous strategy to say that out loud and to expect any sympathy or any toughness, like to come off like a tough guy that, ooh, we're going to be scared. Star of them out, like maybe you can starve out a group of people easily if they're very used to being comfortable and a multi-million dollar profit guzzling goblin. But we're actors. Many of us have had it tough most of our careers, right? We know what it's like for prolonged periods of time. And that's part of why we're here. And it's part of what we're fighting for. And for them to think that we're not being realistic with the data set that we have in front of us and everybody with a set of eyes is enlightening to their thought process, if nothing else. Um, And just to add that to that very quickly, when he talks about the writers and he talks about the directors and he talks about the actors, what they really did was what they're doing is what always happens with labor. Labor, they're trying to drive a wedge between each union. So they said, we're not going to negotiate with the writers. We're going to make kissy face with the director's union. And we may sort of talk to Screen Actors Guild. That separates labor. That se- tries to separate each union from each other. And the other thing is, is that they negotiated in no way did they negotiate in good faith. What they really did, they dragged out the negotiations beyond July 12th because they wanted to roll out their summer fair so that they could do promo for Oppenheimer, for Barbie, for Dial of Destiny. And thank goodness that little bit at Oppenheimer when Matt Damon and company walked out of the premiere promo premiere because the strike had just been called. But they said they wanted to negotiate with us. They, it was all in good faith, and it wasn't. They just wanted to roll out their summer junk. Right. And as we noted earlier in this segment, uh, a Screen Actors Guild members have to earn $26,000 a year uh, to qualify 
uh, for uh, health care benefits, and, and uh, something like 86% of them do not reach that threshold. Uh, Jonathan, can you tell us about uh, the lives of, of rank-and-file members uh, who struggle to meet this threshold and how they uh, make it all work? What else well, are they know- doing? A lot, you know, people have incredible side hustles, you know, I mean, in, in life in general, but particularly in this business and in these cities, people have to have intense side hustles, whether they're working at a restaurant or whether they're doing uh, recording at home for books, uh, whether they're doing package delivery, stuff like that. And what they're dealing with also is if they've been members of SAG and maybe they, let's say they had insurance last cycle and they didn't make it this cycle in a pay period, 20, oh, 26 plus thousand dollars, then they have to wrestle with COBRA. And you start looking at two to three thousand dollars a month if you have a family in particular for COBRA. Now thank goodness New York State has a COBRA subsidy, uh, 75% kickback. Uh, for the entertainment industry. And it's a real blessing through what used to be called the Actors Fund, that there are great connections between New York State, uh, COBRA, and health assistance in the union. But to suddenly get that notice, you don't have insurance anymore, and you're going to have to pay close to three grand a month for insurance uh, or hit the marketplace, and you're not even, you're not making anywhere near $26,000, maybe a little bit more because you're working a hot side hustle. It's really, really rough for people with inflation and with the uh, cost of living rises uh, attributed to that. And um, can you talk a little bit about, uh, Nicole, how one gains union membership? Um, and just because it's a little bit different than obviously other uh, other jobs where you just automatically are in because you work in the same job every day. So how do people gain union membership? And then also, are there many non-union actors? Like, is there uh, uh, many people that is essentially could be scabs or, you know, can, you know. So the world is full of non-union actors. Um, yeah, of course. Outside of SAG-AFTRA, right? And a lot of the non-union actors that I've spoken to don't want to work on union projects and be scabs because the thought is that they're fighting for themselves in the future. They haven't qualified yet. They want our contract to be stronger. Their contract will be our contract. And in solidarity, they're not looking to take our work while we're on strike. So to qualify for the union, you either need a speaking role in a TV or film production that's qualified under SAG-AFTRA, or you have to get three union vouchers um, that take essentially fill a spot that we didn't have somebody in the union to do for the day. For example, one of my union vouchers was they needed somebody who had a certain um a certain structure for a certain building and a certain scene. And they also needed somebody who was left-handed with good penmanship. So that was one of my very strange specialty skills that got me one of my union waivers. Um, (laughs) Right. So getting three waivers (laughs) is sort of like getting in the hard way, right? If you get one, um, well, I mean, you still have to audition for a speaking role, right? But that's a one and done. The other way you're sort of pounding the pavements, hustling the streets to try to get in and get jobs that qualify um, to get your qualification. And when you get in, it's a proud moment, right? You're becoming a professional actor and it's, it's an important thing. Um, so it's a, it, for me, it was a very important experience. And for me, it was also about safety. One was income. The other was safety because I have two little kids and a husband. And at the time they were very, very little. 
And I would do these jobs in buildings that were beautiful to film then, but hundreds of years old. And the structural integrity was checked out and my union had certified that it was safe for me to be there. And for me, that that was everything. Um, so that's sort of how you get in. And then once you get in, you pay a one-time initiation fee and your union dues, um, which are a nominal amount if you're not making a ton of money, you know, um, but it does add up. Um, and for that, you want to fight for a fair contract. You want to be represented for everybody and you want to be able to make a, a living wage and you want your union to fight for you. So, I mean, I'm, I've never been prouder of the solidarity and the unionism that's happened than has happened during the strike. Right. So you're listening to the Independent News Hour on WBAI 99.5 FM. Uh, we're currently speaking with uh, Nicole Izanik and Jonathan Walker, both members of the Screen Actors Guild, which went on strike on Friday, and they're sharing their experiences with us. Uh, so uh, this is the first time since 1960 that actors and screenwriters have been on strike at the same time. Uh, the member, the 11,000 members of the Writers Guild of America have been on strike for two and a half months. Uh, what does it feel like to join forces with them, Jonathan? I think you're on mute. Yep. It's really, it, it's been phenomenal. I mean, when I, I went out in the first week and I also get, I also get to see writers that I never get to see because they're working in writers rooms and people that I've known for many years, many people who transitioned from being actors, uh, stage managers, whatnot into writing. And so there was, you know, an incredible personal camaraderie, but there was a real spirit of power and camaraderie and wow, we are doing this together and we're going to do this together. And, uh, just incredible energy and incredible organizing. The internal organizing it takes to set up permits, to get permits, to have a sound system, to have the signs show up every day on the pole, on the cardboard poles, to have the sign-in sheets and the T-shirts and the water and the snacks. And everybody is pitching in and everybody is working really, really hard. And you just see it in people's faces. You see it in how they interact with each other. We're all really proud of each other and really empowered by each other. It's strong stuff, and we're really ticked off. Right, and then that's 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 the great thing is that you, you all are empowering each other. So um, you've also had the support of many other, you know, individuals, fans, I'm sure, and, and other unions, at least in New York. I know that the Teamsters, AFL-CIO, the teachers, workers with 32BJ, so service hospitality workers, um, nurses have been out there. Uh, and the strike is also occurring as a part of this larger union moment where we had a slight uptick in union organizing already before COVID uh, that, and and organizing had been decreasing since the 70s, as many know. And then the pandemic hit and workers really realized how essential and often mistreated they were. And we've seen this huge wave of unionization and democratization of already existing unions. So how does it feel to be a part of that? Um, both of you um, can answer that one, please. It's a real moment here. I mean, it's almost like hot strike summer, right? Between Starbucks and UPS and the WGA and South Right, Africa. right. And all the solidarity. And it's it's interesting because initially you might not realize how much you have in common till you realize that your issues are basically the same and it's being taken advantage of for greed. And it's a unifying experience. And while my details may be different from Jonathan's details, the the grow the the struggle is the exact same in some ways. 
Um, and it, it really is a uniting factor. And I mean, it's, it's just the feeling and the energy and, uh, what's been happening all over the country with us. It's just been, it's, it's humbling by how much support we have. It's not going away. It's only getting stronger. Totally. And and it's so, it's, you know, Nicole, it's just so great to be in this room with you because I might not know that I crossed paths with you here or there or picket line or on a shoot or something, but here we are together talking the same talk and walking the same talk, walking the same walk. And in particular, when you speak about the other unions, being on the picket line almost every day now, and we're at Rockefeller Center, we're in Times Square, we're at Amazon headquarters, 33rd and 10th. Uh, we're down at uh, Netflix at uh, the 18th and Broadway. And the truckers go by with dump trucks and buses and payloaders and the noise that they make when they blow their horns. And everybody just gets a chill up their spines because these these people mean it. You know, they are labor strong. Uh, the Yahtzee, AFL-CIO, the Teamsters, and they get it. And you can see them smiling and laughing as they pull their air horns, which sends a message straight up to the offices. Not only do they hear us chanting and making noise and music, but boy, do they hear those horns. And boy, is that empowering. Man, is that empowering and and just really heartfelt when we hear it. Keep it up. <laughs> Right. And I also wanted to ask, uh, we're talking a lot about the labor here, but also going back to our conversation earlier in this interview about, uh, the rise of artificial intelligence, uh, and, and how the studios are, uh, looking to lean into that further. Can you talk about how it not only disempowers, uh, uh, labor as a, as a workforce, but, uh, uh, the whole creative process? Like what is, film and television and all of that going to be if it's more and more just being generated by robots. You know, they have that expression, this sucks the life out of me. This literally sucks the life out of what we do. Right. right? And it replaces it with robots. And that's just, (laughs) you can't, I mean, all right, sure. Let's make a whole bunch of TV, a whole bunch of film. We won't have any actors. We won't have any performers. We won't have any writers. We won't have any dancers. Let's see what we get. Right. I think that of the people that are replaceable, we would be the last people replaceable. And all of the people who are unwilling to come to the table with us would eventually become all interchangeable and replaceable. But how do you replace the performer with robots, right? You can try to sort of take our money and and do things that are inappropriate with our image and likeness, and we could fight about it. But you can't do that. Like, think about the long term. Let's just say you try to do that with everything tomorrow, right? I don't care how good you think it looks. You just can't replace a human. You just can't do it. Even for other professions, when you try to replace a human, right? Like, for example, I was at the the grocery store the other day, and I was wearing my SAG-AFTRA shirt. And the lady looked at my shirt, and she's just like, my union is the reason that I have my job. Mm -hmm. And you think about just the day-to-day experience of what it's like, even from small scale, not going to the theater, not having a grand opening of just like talking to the lady at the grocery store and what that adds to life sometimes, you know, and that there are people behind that and that they aren't replaceable. You can't replace segments of the world. And in the creative arts, we're not replaceable. You could try it. You wouldn't get anything good. But if you're going to try it, I mean, you're trying to decimate the industry. 
Yeah. Um, and speaking, we were talking about, you know, uh, wonderful background players. And, you know, I talked about taking a still picture of Dial of Destiny and all those hundreds of people. They're all union members for the most part. And um, what they came back with, uh, the producers, was they want to be able to scan a background performance image. They want to pay them for half a day's labor then use an individual's likeness for any kind of purpose forever without their consent. And they want to make changes to principal performers' dialogue. They want to create new scenes and without informed consent. And they want to use images, likenesses, and performances to train new generative AI systems without consent or compensation. And the real scary part about this is, is it's already happening. I was listening to a BBC report uh, two days ago, and it was a, a, a UK voiceover guy. And uh, someone called him up and said, I heard your voice. And he said, oh, I haven't done anything in a while. They said, well, go to this site. And he listened. He was like, yeah, that's kind of taken from something I recorded 20 years ago. He did an in-house industrial recording, uh, I think, for IBM. And... It had disappeared. He never heard anything about it. He got paid his session fees, and that was it. And it not only gen- it was AI generated some sort of in-house ad that you found on a industrial website. It was two spots. Now I don't know how he's rolling out and pursuing it, but he would, as he said, it's not coming. It's here. It's right. now, and it's happening. So we and have to. Stop it. We have to stop it. That's a fantastic point. That's such a fantastic point. And it's about, so I don't think that any of us think that it's going away, right? So I guess the idea is how do we evolve and monetize? Because this is a business for us too, right? So if it is to be incorporated, how do we have terms that are humane, agreeable, and financially beneficial as the evolution happens? It's definitely not to have studios who don't pay us for that or to take somebody's image for $130 and own it forever. I mean, that's just not even a, a discussion. No. Done. Right. right. Well, that, I think that's a, that's a wall. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the, you know, uh, uh, it's really a slap in the face when they, they are stealing your likeness and then they're displacing you with it, which is happening across the board um, to sectors really across the board. Uh, even, you know, John and mine job is at risk. And then mm-hmm. obviously, you know, everyone else. So um that is the realness. And I think what you're right, we need to put limits on that and we need to put strict restrictions on that and we have to use our people power to do so. So, um, you know, it was really great to have you both here. We're going to have to wrap it up pretty soon, but one last final quick question. Just tell us um each, we'll start with you, Nicole, and then go to Jonathan about upcoming events or how to stay with the picket lines in both Philly and, and New York. Sure. So we are having a support rally at 11.30 a.m. in Philadelphia at Love Park. We're going to have lots of special guests. It should be a really, really, really great solidarity event. And I hope to see some of you there. And that's on Thursday, correct? Uh, This Thursday at 11.30 in Love Park. Okay, great. And uh, in New York? So in New York, um, I, I threw into the chat a link to the SAG site, which lists and will continue to be updated um, strike information for not only New York, but Los Angeles. Uh, you can also go to www.sagafterstrike.org. You don't have to be a member to sign in. You can, you can click a couple icons and it'll take you 
to what the schedule is. All this week, we have gone out every single day, uh, broken a few times due to bad weather. And I'm sure, Nicole, you're having the same issue at times down in Philly with some of these storms coming through. Um, but four hours a day, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. at four major sites. And we're having, in some cases, a 1,000 people uh, in some of the sites. So we have ongoing pickets, uh, which then sometimes turn into rallies, which then sometimes turn into song fests, uh, everybody getting on the mics, and there's just an incredible amount of energy and an incredible amount of strength and all kinds of diversity from across the labor board showing up. So that's pretty much, I think, the way it's going to roll going forward, at least in New York. Four different spots, and you can check it out at www.sagafterstrike.org. And that's S A G A F T R A dot org. S A G A F T R A dot org. S E R I K E after SAG after it. S A G A F T R A S T R I K E dot org. Sorry, I was looking. No, no, that's a, that's quite all right. We're all we're we're just getting up on our feet here. SAGAfterStrike.org, picket lines in New York at Rockefeller Center, the Paramount Building, at Netflix on 18th and Broadway, and on Amazon on 33rd and 10th Avenue. Yep. So, Nicole Isanic, president of SAGAfter, local in Philly. Sorry, the president of the SAGAfter Philly local. I lost my tongue. And Jonathan Walker of SAGAfter in New York, also who is with Rise and Resist. Look them up. Uh, thank you for joining us, and uh, we will be back after a short music break. And this is for all the 90 kids out there who were so, 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 so excited when they found out that Fran Drescher was the new president. <laughs> she was working in a bridal shop in Flushing, Queens, till her boyfriend kicked her out in one of those crushing scenes. What was she to do? Where was she to go? She was out on her family. From flashing to the Sheffield's door She was there to sell makeup But the father saw more She had style, she had fame She was there That's how she became the nanny Who would have guessed that the girl we described Was just exactly what the doctor prescribed Now the father finds her beguiling One child CC And the kids are actually smiling She's the lady in red When everybody else is wearing tan The flashy girl from flashing That was the theme song from the hit 90s sitcom, uh, The Nanny, starring Fran Drescher, who's now the president of SAG after the union that's on strike of uh, 160,000 actors. And um, we're moving into the final part of our show. Uh, For people who want to call in 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 the final uh, 12 minutes or so of the show, uh, our phone number for that is uh, 212-209-2877. Uh, Am and I are also going to catch up on some other important uh, news updates here in a couple of minutes. But uh, first of all, uh, we want to urge um, everyone who can do so uh, to uh, contribute to this station to help make it possible for shows like the Independent News Hour to bring on uh, rank-and-file workers like Jonathan Walker and Nicole Izanik and uh, to do important 
uh, coverage throughout the day with our news and public affairs program, our cultural program, music programs um, as well. Uh, this station is possible because of our community of listeners, 212-209-2950, if you want to make a one-time donation or sign up and become a WBAI buddy for as little as uh, $10 a month. Right, and that phone number is 212-209-2950. Again, it's 212-209-2950. Or you can go online to give the number to WBAI.org. And if you're enjoying hearing from the picket line, rank-and-file workers, uh, actors, you know, uh, it's not only actors that we bring to you. We bring to you UPS workers, Amazon workers, tenants struggling to keep their houses. We bring you leftist experts and organizers. And uh, the reason that we can do all of this is because we're an independently funded radio station. Unfortunately, private interest usually does not support that kind of coverage. So if you want to keep hearing that news, please let today be the day that you donate. You could do $5 once, 10 15 20 35 You become a monthly donor, a WBAI buddy in the name of the independent, which you can do by calling 212-209-2950 or going online to give the number to WBAI.org. That's 212-209-2950 or go online to give the number to WBAI.org and please make that contribution today to keep us on the air. And if you're thinking someone else is doing it, it's really not always the case. The struggle here to pay the rent is real. So one more time, 212-209-2950, or go online to give the number to WBAI.org and keep this private interest-free radio on the air. Right. And uh, when we uh, sign off here in a little while, uh, there's a great roster of shows throughout the evening on WBAI that your support makes possible. We'll have a half-hour edition of Democracy Now! at 6 o'clock, Interpersonal Update from 6.30 to 7, uh, Revolutions Per Minute, the show of the NYC DSA chapter from 7 to 8 p.m., Out FM from 8 to 9 p.m., Cat Radio Cafe from 9 to 10 p.m., and special programming uh, from 10 to tw- 10 o'clock to midnight. All of that made possible by your support 212-209-2950. Um, we also, uh, welcome if anybody wants to call in and say hello or let us know what you think about what you've heard so far in the show or if you have something else on your mind, 212-209-2877. Uh, so, uh, in, in our, uh, remaining minutes here, Amba, um, uh, you've, uh, uh, for the last several years, been closely following the deteriorating situation on uh, Rikers Island, uh, which is uh, run by the city of New York. And since 2015, it's been under a federal monitor due to chronic problems there. Uh, and that situation has only gotten worse uh, to the point yesterday, the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York announced it would go to court to take over control of Rikers from the city, uh, have the, somehow have the federal government run it. Uh, from conversations you had, you've had with people who work on Rikers and with inmates and family members that you've talked to over the years, uh, how do you expect that uh, they received yesterday's news? Well, uh, thanks, John, for lauding my coverage. And yeah, this is a really serious issue that I'm glad we're talking about. I just want to acknowledge we have a caller on the line. Caller, we'll get to you in one second. Thank you for being here with us. Um, 
Yeah, but I have been covering Rikers for a while. Um, quickly, most recently, uh, the city, you know, supported the Department of Correction in axing only one thing, 1.4% of its over $100 billion budget, which was daily programming in Rikers. So now people who were getting daily programming with with people who had previously been incarcerated with an outside organization are no longer receiving that. And that's a huge loss for them and for the wider communities because this, you know, um, it's serious. And it's probably to get outside eyes and ears out of the jails. And so this all relates to what's going on now, which is the federal monitor who's been working for a long time on getting federal control and the, and Rikers out of the city's hands. Obviously, yes, this is a reformist approach, but the situation is dire and we need some change in it. And yeah, workers and people, you know, who have been incarcerated there, detainees have all have many have said to me, they're the ones who brought up to me in the first place that I learned about the idea of federal takeover because the situation is dire. You can read some of my coverage. Um, on it and our coverage on independent.org had a recent article there independent.org but let's take our caller caller what's your name um yeah i just want to keep that anonymous if it's okay sure no problem uh we have an anonymous caller with us and you're calling in uh share your ideas was it on our last segment uh yeah uh today marks six months since uh tortuguita was murdered down in atlanta yeah. So uh, I would just like to uh, incessantly repeat the quotes that in the officer uh, footage of that murder. Yeah. Uh, man, you Please. left your own officer up. That sounded like suppressed gunfire. And is this target practice? The suppressed gunfire one is really important because uh, suppressed gunfire is a uh, cop code word for police fire. This is a total cover-up of the first environmentalist murdered by United States police. There are now 12 songs out there about this, and there are solutions. It's called replacing the police. Not all the police, but there are systems already in place all across the nation, such as PAD in Atlanta and CAHOOTS in Eugene, Oregon, that has been in existence for 31 years that people can call instead of the police can't expect the police to do every single job that unarmed civilians can do. Thank you. All right. right and we, I just want to say quickly, uh, full support of Stop Cop City. Yeah, that, uh, was, that call was in reference to the movement to uh, Stop Cop City, the giant police training facility in Atlanta that the protester Tortuguita was uh, protesting when he was killed um, earlier this year or I think in December, actually. Right. Yeah. And they likely had their hands up when they were likely killed by the police. And uh, Atlantans now are working on uh, bringing together enough votes. I think they have to have something like 75,000 votes to put a referendum. You um, mean to- petition signatures. Petition signatures to have a referendum so that Atlantans could vote uh, to stop cop city um which we don't have a lot of time to get into now but you can you can google that and you'll find a lot of information um and uh and it also recently stop cop city uh protesters actually uh ran like through a field in atlanta to disturb a bank of america uh luncheon and that was very bad <laughs> well, uh, good good for them and um uh, i hope they inconvenience the uh, uh, the bankers and their friends. 
Uh, one more quick note from the world of, uh, uh, cops and courts and all that stuff. Uh, uh, today or yesterday it was announced, uh, that, uh, Edward, uh, Caban, the interim, uh, uh, police commissioner here in New York who took over from outgoing police commissioner Keechan Sewell. Uh, he's now the, um, uh, permanent, uh, police commissioner. He has, uh, a track record of, uh, uh, of uh, some abusive practices that have raised a lot of eyebrows. Uh, there was a comment released by the Justice Committee. Caban uh, and, and his, Eric Adams have celebrated that he's the first Latino uh, police commissioner. They said, rather than giving us rhetoric about representation and diversity, Caban and Adams need to eliminate the NYPD's abusive practices and immediately fire the officers uh, who killed New Yorkers and all officers who engage in misconduct. So that's a uh, situation will continue to follow, uh, but we're going to uh, have to go here in a minute. I uh, want to thank our board operator, uh, Reggie Johnson, everybody who joined us during the show today. Amba, what's our uh, our going away song uh, this evening? We're going to listen to Heat Above by Greta Van Fleet. I think it's fitting for the moment. I hope everyone has a great week and we'll be back uh, this time next week or the week after. Check in. Thank you.